This is James Dibbon, and welcome to the Hospice Nursing Podcast. Well, hello, fellow hospice nurses all across uh, the Fruited Plain. Is that really a thing? I don't know if it is. But welcome to your show. That's right. This is the only show that is dedicated to hospice nurses specifically. And there's, I've been looking all over the internet trying to find some other uh, shows that are similar to this who are dedicated strictly to helping hospice nurses achieve uh, success in their career and I have to tell you I have struggled to find that so I feel like I'm providing something unique to this audience and as I've mentioned before our tagline is simply practical help for hospice nursing success and that's exactly what we're going to be here for is to help you in your hospice journey uh, to be as successful as you can be there are all kinds of challenges that come with being a hospice nurse. And as I've mentioned before, I created a 10-part series on my blog at confessionsofahospicenurse.net focused on helping nurses avoid burnout. And there are many facets to that diamond, as they would say, on what contributes to hospice burnout. And some things we have control of and some things we do not. But this show is going to be dedicated on helping you identify the different things that can cause burnout and how we can work together to solve those. So um, today what we are going to address is what I believe is the biggest challenge that many nurses faced. And it's what I hear most nurses tell me is the cause of their burnout. And it is our charting. And, uh, you know, if I had sound effects, I could play crickets right now because there are a lot of nurses who can really struggle in this area and find themselves all evening and into the night sometimes charting and trying to finish their charting from the day. So in today's show, we're going to talk about the importance of charting at the bedside. And so when I wrote this article and I introduced uh, this this idea of charting at the bedside, I was almost reluctant to write that as my second article because you can lose a whole lot of readers pretty quick uh, when you begin to discuss charting at the bedside and the challenges that come with that because there are challenges. And today we're going to talk about those challenges. And to do it, we are going to bring back my friend Mike, who was my first hospice mentor, to talk about this. Mike, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. This is Mike, James's friend. <laughs> Mike Barrett. Look him up and he lives at, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but, but Mike, uh, the main reason I wanted to have you on the show to begin to discuss this was because I wanted to hear from you why you made this such a focus because I work with many nurses now who were never taught to do this, and I never knew the difference. I was taught by you from day one that you do all of your charting at the bedside, signed, sealed, and delivered. So I want to give you a chance to kind of talk about that and share with our listeners why that was so important to you. Sure, yeah. Well, even going back to the emergency room before electronic charting, when we had what they call T-sheets, and nurses had uh, paper charts, I remember uh, even working as a patient care tech, watching some of the nurses, and it would be like 7 in the morning when they're time to get off shift, and they would have stacks of clipboards, and they would just sit there and fill out their charts and finish their charts. And I thought, man, that's not looking like what I want to do. And then when I went into home care, or hospice rather, same thing. I saw nurses that uh, at the end of the day were – or hearing stories of how they would go home and, and I'd hear comments, well, I'm going to go spend the next three or four hours charting. And I just thought to myself, if that happens and if that's going to be part of the job, I won't last here for more than a few weeks or months because 
when I'm done, I need to be done and have my, my family time. So I just made it a priority from day one to figure out how and if it's possible. And I found out really, James, in the long run, it was so much easier for a few reasons I can share, but it just, I would say 95% of the time my charts were done by the time I left that residence. Well, and you mentioned 90% of the time, because as I will continue to talk about on this show as often as I can, that, you know, we have a 90-10 rule here that says 90, most of what we're going to teach and what we're going to encourage our listeners to do can be achieved 90% of the time. And we can start splitting hairs and go, well, it's more like 85-15, and that's not what we're going to do, but it is possible, and we're not just going to say it can be done, but my goal is today to talk about maybe some of the reasons people think it can't be done or shouldn't be done and then how they're wrong. Is that rude of me to just say they're wrong? Uh, and, and we'll discuss why I think they're wrong. And, and I don't mean to be rude to anybody. And to be honest with you, when I wrote that article, I got a little snarky in it and I really don't, I don't mean for it to come across that way. So I'm hoping that as I do an audio version of my thoughts and ideas, I won't be as snarky. I was a little snarky. <laughs> it was rude. It wasn't too terrible rude. But let me let me just tell our listeners, I want this for you. I'm so serious about this. And I believe for those of you who do chart at the bedside all the time, because you're out there, because I've talked to you, you know what we ha- how we have our freedom at night. And so... This this episode is just as much for the people who don't do it and maybe you're afraid to do it or don't feel like it's possible. And I want to tell you that it is possible. And I want this for you because I want you to have your evenings back. You deserve better. This job is so heavy and what we do all day long is so weighted be, from the, all of the challenges that we face that I need all of you, everybody listening to this, I need you to, when you're home, to be home. I want you to be able to have that cup of tea and watch your favorite show. I want you to be able to sit with your kids and help them with their homework or read a story to them. And I want you to be able to do that and not have to climb in bed at nine o'clock and chart for two more hours. I don't want that for you. And I feel like it helps happens all the time to people I talk to over and over again. And so All I'm asking is that as we work our way through this episode, that you will come to it with an open mind and a desire to achieve this for yourself. So in preparation for this, Mike has, at my instruction, prepared some questions that I wrote for him. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to do this together and tease this out a little bit. So, Mike, I will let you get started. So, yeah, I think one of the one of the arguments or one of the um, things you may hear from people in opposition is that if you're charting at the bedside, that you can't focus on your patient or you can't get to know uh, get to know the patient because there's like this barrier in between you. What do you say to that, James? So the the place that I usually start and something that I forgot to talk about when I kind of introduced myself in the first episode and and even told a little bit of my story in in the next episode was that I actually did mental health four years leading into my hospice career while I was still an LPN before I bridged over. So I come from a background of mental health nurse and my observation in my seven years of hospice is that hospice is really 80% psychosocial and only 20% medical. And much of the challenges that we face in this job are psychosocial in nature. They are the fear that our patients have, their loved ones have, their resistance to our ideas and our cares that we may be encouraging them to do. So I just want to tell everybody, nothing is more important to me than you building a relationship with your patient and their caregiver. And I am here to tell you that you can do both. You can chart at the bedside and still connect with your patient and your caregiver in a deep and meaningful way that there is a lot of what we're going to talk about in future episodes will deal with how to connect with your patient and your caregiver because 
the deeper your connection is with them on a psychosocial level, then those visits will go easier because stressful, high stress, difficult visits with patients that drag on for long periods of time can also contribute to your burnout. And the major theme of this show is how can I help you avoid burnout? So everything that I'm going to teach and bring to you on this show is all about avoiding burnout. And you can do both. You can meet your patients where they are emotionally uh, and still chart at the bedside. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I have had some members at the hospice nursing community request some kind of a support group to help fight burnout. And so I have started two burnout support groups at the hospice nursing community.com just to help everybody. And so these support groups meet twice a month on the second Thursday and the second Sunday of the month. And so we're going to be doing that. And I wanted to make sure you understood or knew that these will be faith friendly support groups. And it doesn't mean they'll be preaching or anything strange like that, but I might use devotionals. I might pull something out of the Bible, maybe out of Psalms or something, but just there might be sections of the, uh, of the group that deal with matters of faith. And, and I hope that is of interest to you. Uh, it can be found in the community events, uh, section of the community. So if you would consider joining, I think it would help you. It's going to help me. I need it, I think, as much as anybody does. So join a burnout support group at thehospicenursingcommunity.com. So what do you think, <clears throat> what would you say to people that would just flat out to tell you it's rude? It's rude, it's rude to open your computer at the bedside. Well, I would tell them that, unfortunately, this is medicine now, and I hate to have a cold, dismissive response to their question because it's a legitimate question, and I understand, and there are going to be a percentage. We'll bring in the 90-10 rule again. You may have a 10% of your patients who really just don't like it. I made a visit for one of my patients the other day, and I didn't. I had not pulled out my computer yet, but the husband in, quickly went into some complaints about people sitting at the computer. And so I decided, okay, I've only been here once. This person doesn't know me at all. So I charted in the car. But let's let's just remember that that should be a, a 10% of the time and not all the time. And And computers are here and they're here to stay. And if I go see, I went, had to go see a cardiologist earlier this year because I'm, <clears throat> um, and as much as I hate to admit how old I am and I went and saw him and he had to type everything in on his computer that whole time. Um, and I know Mike that you've had some thoughts and feelings about how, if, whether or not it's rude. Cause, cause that was one of my concerns early on. And do you remember some of the things you probably told me? Well, yeah. Um, <clears throat> It's, it's all the, I think it's the personality of the nurse and how you go about doing it. There's, there's things you can script and say. Uh, and I think always, James, what, one thing you did early on that I thought was neat, you kind of adopted and shared it with me was you had this rule that you would sit down and before you got out your stethoscope, your blood pressure cuff, any of that, you would just stop and ask them, you know, open-ended questions. How are you doing today? What's new? What's going on? Where are you at? And just had a conversation with them. And I think that very simple thing, and it doesn't have to go on for 45 minutes, but five or 10 minutes serves you so well in the long run. And you may want to speak to that, that you've just showed them that they are the priority. And then you script, you know, when you bring out your computer, hey, listen, what you're telling me is important. And so I want to make sure I write this down now and don't forget it, you know, two hours later, try to repeat it. So, and sometimes ask them, did I get this right? Is this what I'm hearing from you as you're typing in? So they're, they're, they're a part of the process. It is not you putting up a barrier and saying, now I'm focused here and I've forgotten about you. And that that's kind of the difference. I think bringing them along with you into that. Yeah. Nope. I agree. Totally. So, all right. What else you got for me? Well, time right and this is this one's what um this this gets me people say there isn't enough time because there was a couple times when i thought 
I want to see what this is like to just not worry about my computer and just focus on the patient and go about my day. And I only did it one or two days just to see, but I'll tell you at the end of the day, you should have my visits were quicker and I felt free and I wasn't worried about, you know, going through security. But when I sat down later to try to remember everything I'd done in every visit and get it down, it was so hard and took so much more time that I realized I'm not, I'm not taking, it's not taking more time for me to do it now. I have plenty of time to do it because it saves time in the long run. So what, what do you say to people that, that tell you there's not enough time to chart at the bedside? It's, it's somewhat similar to that because what I tell them is you're going to have to make time somewhere. And mm-hmm. at my, at most companies are going to require your charting still be done same day or before you see your patients the next day. And so at some point you will have to make time for it at the company that I am at now there were some pretty poor habits when, when I came in uh, and the administration came in and I came in later after some of them that some nurses didn't chart until they got to the weekend. They just made notes all week long and charted on the weekend. And so they were forced to do all their charting Sunday evening and Monday morning before they could get their timesheets in. And it became such a habit with them that it was almost impossible to break and they still had to make all that time. And so somebody is trying to chart 20 to 30 visits from the week all on a Sunday evening and Monday morning. And they were good nurses. There was nothing wrong with, with their nursing abilities. And they made good connections with their patients. But they still at some point had to make time for that. And I would just ask them, you're cheating your family. Like, why are you cheating yourself and your family time? Hospice does not have to be, for for a hospice nurse, does not have to be a 24-7 job where we are always working and we're always focused on the job and always worried about our patients. And it's, there's, we've got to be able to get away. We've got to be able to disconnect from this work and recharge our batteries on the weekend and recharge our batteries in the evening and be able to have good, you know, rest when we're not actually on the clock. So, and, and I just made a quick little note here that no job in America is worth sacrificing your family for. And what I will do is I need to put in the show notes and I'm going to scribble a note for myself here, a book that I happened to mention, and, and I, I mentioned in one of the other uh, other articles that I wrote, but it's a book called Choosing to Cheat, and it is a fantastic book, and if I don't move my mouth away from the microphone long enough to write this note, I'll forget. But this book, and I'll, I'll link to Amazon. It's not even an affiliate link. Like, I'm not selling anybody anything. I'm trying to help people right now. And But this book, and it's short. It doesn't have very many pages, and it's about... You're going to have to cheat somewhere, all right? You're going to have to, you, and it's about trying to decide whether or not you're going to cheat your family or your job. And we're not talking about cheating money, right? That's not what this book is about. It's about your time. It's about, it. sometimes when you spend time, when you spend time with your family, it's not necessarily as measurable as when you spend time with your work. Right. Because you can if you get out your computer in the evening, you can get a an IDT, an IDT note done or an IDG note, whatever you call it. And that's measurable. But sometimes just spending an extra hour with your family, you don't have something you can add to a list. Is that making sense to you? I'm kind of getting off on a little bit of a tangent here. But what I want my nurses to understand is don't cheat your family because of this job. Like I am here to help you not cheat your family. Like that is important. I need you emotionally and physically well to do this job Monday through Friday, eight to five or whatever your hours are. And I don't want to find people cheating their family. Have you ever looked at the flip side and heard from what kind of things I should say, what kind of things have you heard from workers that, say why they like to take notes and why they don't like to open their computer or try to chart during a visit. What, what do they feel like they're gaining? Stay with us. We'll be right back. 
If you are new to hospice or considering hospice, then in September of 2022, I created the website for you. I created thehospicenursingcommunity.com. What started out as a simple community has become a large library of video trainings. Thehospicenursingcommunity.com now has over 45 video coaching sessions covering subjects such as bedside charting, the hospice comfort kit, the four levels of care, how to interview for a hospice job, and so much more. I just completed a seven-part series for case managers, and I'm getting ready to start a series on the PPS scale. TheHospiceNursingCommunity.com is available for just $4.99 per month for full access. Head over to TheHospiceNursingCommunity.com for hope, help, and encouragement. And remember, hospice nursing doesn't get easier. You just get better at it. So let's get better at it together. That's a tough question. You know, I, I think... I think for most of them, they just feel the pressure to get to the next visit, and that's why they don't chart. And that's something we're going to talk about here in a minute. There's a way to handle that uh, when I wor- when we get to the point where we're going to talk about some tips and tricks. Uh, but I think that's a lot of it is is they can they have this feeling in their gut like okay, uh, I'm I'm 30 minutes into this visit and I've got this next visit I need to get to because I know um, some issues that that family is dealing with. And so I need to move. I need to move now. And I do not have time to get out this computer. I just don't. I thought I was going to have time, but this visit is starting to get kind of long and I just, I can't do it. I just, mm. I just can't. That leads, That's one thing that I'll say I've come to enjoy and almost, I don't know if this is saying it right, almost need. I almost need. There's almost a uh, inside of me um, craving to be done at the end of that visit. I feel this completion, this sense of closure, I think, with each visit. And that's if I get in my car and drive away knowing I haven't charted on that visit, it starts to eat at me after a while. It really does become habit. And so there is something so satisfying about having that chart done and closing that one out and knowing like I've, I've shut the book on this portion of my day for now and I don't have to revisit it. It is done. And it's just like knocking off that list, you know, it feels so good. And at the end of the day, when, when, when you're on your last visit and you know, like, this is the last thing I need to do chart this and I'm done for the day because everything else is taken care of. That is a really rewarding uh, feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we had this patient that was on service here recently and I had made more than one visit to, to, to work, work with them and there was no, we were unable to get any kind of signal. So our current EMR has to be connected to the internet to work. My pet peeves. I know, I know. And so we're getting away from that soon. I'm very excited. But anyway, currently that's what we have. And no hotspot worked at this person's house. And I have charted at the bedside for so many years that almost every single time I saw this patient, I would still forget to chart until almost the next morning because I've developed such a habit of charting at the bedside that my brain just turned off any charting thoughts once I left that house mm-hmm. and got myself in trouble more than once. I was the one who didn't have charting done from the previous day. So is that true though? That's a good point. And that's something I know you're going to speak to is what happens when I have a web-based uh, documentation system and I can't get on the web. And so I know I've got a couple ideas on that, but go ahead. But yeah, well, that's reality, right? That's the reality that, um, and I've used, I don't know, five or six different companies through the years in home care and, and hospice. And, and again, I found myself in this new program that our company bought that is web-based. And that was the one thing I said, make sure it's not web, like it's make sure it works off the web as well and can sync later, but that has not happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, so here's where I got myself in trouble on the blog post. And so if you want to visit confessions of a hospice nurse.net and there's a link right there to the, the hospice burnout series. And this was my second article, but I got myself in trouble and came across a little rude to a few people because what I wrote in the article, you, you don't necessarily, you can't hear my voice inflection. You can't f- hear my heart 
for what I'm trying to trying to help people with. But anyway, I said in there that the real truth, this is the real truth of the situation is that if we were completely honest with ourselves, we just don't want to chart. And one person said that was a little too presumptive of me in the, in the comments. And I laughed and thought, well, maybe it is a little presumptive, but it's the truth. And let's all just be honest for a second. We didn't go to nursing school. We went to nursing school to take care of people and we're in hospice because we really want to like, we're willing to take care of people as they die. And charting is not our favorite thing in the whole world, right? It's just a necessary part of what we do because we have to have an accurate medical record. And so it's okay for us to tell ourselves, I hate this part of my job. And, mm-hmm. and I don't have a problem with anybody who is listening to this show who is not a medical professional, and maybe you're just curious, and you're listening to this. I don't have a problem telling you we don't like charting because we, we don't it, – it's a necessary part of what we do. We need your medical record to be accurate because I want the next nurse to be able to come to come one hour after I leave your house and take care of you and have an accurate record. Like that's very important to me and it should be important to anybody listening to this. So if you are a lay person and you, you might have some concerns with us flipping open our computer in front of you, but you need the next person to have as accurate information as possible. Like that should be something that's very important to you. And I know with my nurses, cause my nurses we're on the 90, 10 rule and 90% of the time, all of my nurses, and we have over 110 patients at, at my current company, most of our, all of our nurses chart at the bedside and lock and sign that. So if there is a crisis, the next nurse can come along and see exactly what they did. And our patients deserve that. And we have to push past the fact that none of us went to nursing school to chart and to type on computers. We're caregivers is what we are. And that's what's the most important to us. Yeah, and especially in hospice and where everybody's mobile, you're out there, you're not in the same unit in the hospital, and you may never see the other nurse face-to-face. There's nothing worse than being called out to see a patient in crisis, looking back and not having anything to go on for the last you know, two visits or whatever. That's really hard when there's no face-to-face reports or anything. You're really relying on a good narrative to get a picture of what was going on and what changes were made. So that'd be my biggest argument to charting at the bedside is the importance of continuity of care. We all know how important that is. So, so what I did was I came up with five steps to successful charting at the bedside. And these are just my five steps. There's not a book somewhere we can buy. And I don't know of any training (laughs) that has something like this. So James made this up, but this is based on my experience and what I have seen work the most. So let's just start with number one that I have on the list. It's train the patient. Now that sounds kind of crazy, but when you, if, if that's all your patient knows from you is that at some point during your visit, you are going to get out your device and you are going to enter information about them. You are going to chart their blood pressure, their temperature. You're going to document what their lungs sound like, what their, what their body is doing. If, if you do that from the first time you see the patient, they don't know any different. It's just a part of the hospice process. How about you, buddy? Are you with me? I'm yeah, I, no, I was listening. I thought you were going on to number two. You know, tra- <laughs> training the patient, it becomes a part of it. And there's no reason that. Well, maybe this goes into the next one. There's no reason once you pull the computer out that this like invisible shield goes off, like you're in the cone of silence and (laughs) there's no communication. Ask them. That's a great time to ask them open-ended questions and give them feedback while you're charting and putting the data in. It it doesn't mean that you leave, you know, you don't have to leave the whole room and and zone out. (laughs) Well, exactly right. And so something that you mentioned earlier that we can hit on a little bit heavier is to spend the first 15 to 20 minutes interacting and assessing with your patient. And I wrote on here, don't crack the computer the minute you sat down. So here's, here's what I'm finding with nurses who 
I'm working with them and maybe they've never charted at the bedside. This is a little bit new to them or they're brand new to hospice. They, they easily want to walk in the room and set the computer down and open it up. And they're walking back and forth between the patient and the computer back and forth and back and forth. And I think that that would disconcert me if I was a nurse and that was how I was being trained to do it. That is not how to get past this challenge for you. So anybody who's listening to this and maybe you've never really done it or you feel like, or you've tried to, and you've just barely even gotten started. My advice to you would be like Mike mentioned a little bit earlier, take the first 10 to 15 minutes to, you know, I always walk in and I just sit down across from them. Hey, how are you doing? How has your week been? What are the changes that you're seeing? Or, that's a really cool picture on the wall. Tell me about your family member. This is that connecting that I still want us to be able to do. And as they answer those questions and as you're visiting with them, you're assessing them, you're checking their vitals, all those kinds of things. And you're doing it in real time without your computer being open. Exactly. Yeah. That goes so far. That goes such a long way. And I, I think we can't overestimate the impact of not opening your computer the first thing or not even getting in your bag. Set your bag down, sit down and just look at them and talk to them and give them your full attention. It, it, even if you do that for five minutes, it goes so far uh, before you grab your stethoscope or anything else. But yeah, I the back and forth thing with the computer, I, I, I've seen that done and I, you can get tied to it and then that is the Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that, and so a, the, a normal visit and I'm going to get, I can hear people yelling at their, their phone or whatever device you're listening to this podcast, Ninety ten rule. Okay. Come on. Uh, many visits should run between 40 and 50 minutes long, like anywhere in there, especially if it's the first visit of the week. And I'm, I'm including my documentation in this time frame. Now there are the outliers. There are the patients who are active and needing a lot of medication changes. And you're going to be there for an hour and a half. So we're not talking about that. We're let's not assume as we have this conversation that, that every visit is a crisis all day long, every day. That's not the case. You are going to have patients on your caseload that you've had for a while that are once or twice a week that you know them well, uh, and those ones you should be able to be very successful in your bedside charting with them. And so I want to hit a couple of other thoughts here as we kind of work our way down the list. And this is, this can tend to be kind of a cold type of episode and kind of very technical. So I apologize to anybody who needs more entertainment than this. Uh, but how about this? Now, this is, I don't mean to insult anybody, but how about charge your stuff at night? I can't count how many ride-alongs I've done with nurses who they go to pull out their computer in front of me and it's at 10% and they didn't charge it when they got home. I joke that one of these days I'm going to create a training that's called charge your stuff. <laughs> I it still happens to me. I pulled my work out, my work phone out this morning, completely dead, completely dead. I had to plug it into my car as soon as I got into my car uh, because I just forgot to move it two inches onto the charger last night. <laughs> Sat on the table next to it. So, <laughs> but it is debilitating. I'm not. Gonna, there's nothing worse than having your stuff not work and and it's you know you're handicapped because of it. So just a simple bit of advice is when you get done with the end of the day, don't, don't forget to carry in your bag, have, have a spot in your house that you put it every time. Maybe you can charge it in your car if your device has a car charger, but make sure you've got your phone and your device plugged in and turn them off. Depending on the device you're using, especially if you have an always on where you have to have a hotspot a lot of times you're using some kind of a laptop. Be sure to turn that thing off because they can get very laggy if they're left on for extended period of time. The iPads can do that. The 
the Google pads, whatever those things are called, because I'm kind of an Apple guy. Uh, those can do that. All these devices don't do well if they have been left on day after day and week after week. So be sure to be turning your stuff off because I have ran into a lot of nurses who their device isn't working right for them and they're frustrated and they just give up on the thing. So charge your stuff. Um, Mike, you see what point four is. Why don't you bring that one out? Let's talk about nope. that. Don't type in every space. What What do you mean by that? Okay. So now you and I worked with Suncoast. You remember Suncoast? Mm-hmm. Suncoast is maybe some folks' least enjoyable documentation system, but that system had so many comment boxes all over it. And the system we use now has a fair amount, but... Suncoast is one of the worst. And if if you have to type any place there is a spot for you to type something freehand, if you feel like you have this urge to fill it in, your documentation is going to take you so very long. You're never going to hardly get there. You're a comprehensive assessment. And so now I have worked with, I believe, five different documentation systems over the years because I've been to multiple hospices and we've had documentation changes in the middle. And I have, in my opinion and through my experience, and this has been supported by my compliance officer, who's very picky, a comprehensive assessment that first visit of the week, you should be able to document that whole thing in 20 minutes. And then your second more focused visit, you should be able to document in 10. That's your goal. That's where you want to get to. But if you have to put something in every single space, like if you've got your respiratory section and you click that they have crackles and rails in their lobes, and then you still feel like you need to type it out in the space below, patient with diminished lung sounds in both bases and they have some rails in the uppers or whatever it may be and you just are doing that through the whole thing you are going to have documentation that's going to take you 40 to 50 minutes to chart on just one patient so that's what i that's what i mean by don't type in every space yeah another uh thing i don't see on here is i say if you go to the work to get your computer up and running, never waste a moment of internet time. Uh, I give an example. This just happened today. I showed up at a patient's house and they were uh, engaged in something that I knew was going to take about 10 minutes before I could even begin my assessment. And so I got on and logged on and I filled out my schedule for next week because I was already on the internet. And I, um, I just used that time to not just sit there, but uh, to use something that I needed to use the internet for. In other words, I was connected to the internet. I'd signed in through all my three security passwords. I was up and running. If I can't chart that visit yet, I charted some other things. That means I don't have to do it later. So never waste a moment. You know, sometimes those symptom management where you're titrating meds for four hours and trying to get someone under control, you've got downtime, use that to, and if you're done with that patient, work on something else, you know, whether it's your schedule or finishing up another patient that you didn't quite get finished. There's just never waste a moment of being connected to the Internet. Absolutely. And, you know, I have a phrase for that. I made up all by myself. You'd be proud. It's what called is it? it's it's called don't waste waiting. Don't waste your downtime. Don't waste when you're waiting. If you're waiting on something if you're on a death visit and you're waiting for the funeral home to get here and they're an hour and a half away and you're sitting in the corner, that's not the time to check Facebook <laughs> as tempting as it might be. Or that's not the time to listen to the hospice nursing podcast. No, that is a time to get some IDT notes done. Maybe update a care plan for another patient. Stay busy. Don't waste that time. Don't waste waiting. So thank you for uh, letting me use my new phrase, Mike. I appreciate I like it. That. So what's, <laughs> embrace the tension okay so this is my favorite one i just came up with this one here recently so point number five and i will be sure in the show notes to put i'm going to find a way to cleanly put all this in for everybody at confessions of a hospice nurse.net slash podcast 
or the hospice nursing podcast.com. Anyway, I'll spit those out real quick anyway. Okay. So embrace the tension. I talked about this a little bit earlier when you asked me what is keeping people from doing their charting. And it is that tension that you feel in your gut to be done. Let's say it's a tough visit and you're 40 minutes into this visit and you have not hardly looked at your computer. Maybe it's open. Maybe it's not even open. And you're like, there is no way I can do this. That's that tension. And if you will allow it, that tension will make you a fast documenter with your EMR. If you will let it, if you will say, you know what, I'm going to embrace this tension. I'm going to embrace this feeling that I need to go to the next visit. I need to go. I need to get to this next visit. If you will embrace that and say, no, this tension is going to make me faster at my computer system because then you get it out and you get it in front of you and you sit down and you, and you just get to working on it and you will get quicker. The more that you embrace that tension that you feel and say, I am going to push past this. Mike, we talked about intentionality on our last episode, and this is where the rubber really hits the road on intentionality and the power of cumulative effect that we talked about how every single day as you begin to push yourself and you begin to be quicker on the screen, if you're using a touch screen, which most of us do now, and you're getting that muscle memory of those spots and you're clicking them as you go, you've got to learn how to embrace that tension and let it work on you and make you faster. That's true. And when it comes down to it, if something has to give, this is one thing that I teach people I train at the very, very least, go to your narrative spot, go to that place where you make your narrative note, your overall picture of what's going on and type that out while it's fresh in your mind. It will, it will serve you well. It'll be so much faster than coming back six hours later and four patients later and trying to remember what happened, what was said. And not only that, it's just so much more accurate for the patient because there's going to be those things that you forget, you know, you forget like, oh, there was blood in the stool. And, and you know, six hours later, four patients later, you may forget to chart that. Get that out there. Yeah. Get that narrative done. And, you know, you can go back and check all of the lung sounds clear and all of that later. If you don't really, really, if it's one of those times where I really don't have time, take five minutes, get the narrative note done. So so there's a clear picture there for for whoever comes behind you, at least they have that as well. You know, this is golden, Mike. This is so good that you brought this up because what I see the most from nurses who don't finish at the bedside, they are doing the exact opposite. They are saying, okay, well, I save the narrative for later. All the assessments done, quote, but I'm saving the narrative for later. And what you're saying is click some of it, but make sure you get that narrative done right away. And, and the reason I say, don't worry about filling in every box is because I've been through a few surveys and I've talked to lots of people who've been through way more than me. Those surveyors, they don't spend a whole, they don't, they can't learn every single EMR. There's too many out there. So they go straight down to the narrative. They don't pay attention to all your click boxes. They're probably going to check out the pain assessment and they may check out a couple other things, but they're going to go down to that narrative and they're going to want to see what did you find? How did you treat it? And what are the results? That's what they're going to look at. So I appreciate you bringing that up. A lot of nurses are the opposite and maybe they're overthinking the narrative. I mean, I can't speak to that because that's between my that nurse and their compliance and how that organization wants to run. All I know is all organizations want their nurses charting at the bedside or most do. And the ones who don't, I'd be afraid of. Yeah. And when we say bedside, I know there's those times and I do this still. Uh, I had patient, first patient today. Uh, I had to get some family members to school. So I, I charted the basics, got our next stuff set up, went out to my car, but I didn't go on to my next visit. I sat in my car and finished the chart and I wasn't at the bedside, but I was 500 yards from the bedside and still didn't, you know, did not leave that property until uh, the chart was complete. And again, that was the sense of when I go to my next visit, I'm starting fresh. There's nothing hanging over my head at that point. That's right. And I would just encourage everybody, anybody who's not doing this, 
just stay the course, okay? We talked about the law of cumulative effect. You can't just try this for one week. So one of our nurses, I might have brought it up in the last episode when we talked about the power of cumulative effect. She was never taught this. She had been doing hospice for years and had to overcome learning how to chart at the bedside because she was never taught that. So cumulative effect has power both directions. If you have a bad habit, the cumulative effect will reinforce the bad habit. And if you have a good habit, the cumulative effect will enforce the good habit. So just give it time. If, if it, if you literally don't chart hardly anything at the bedside and do all your charting at night, then take baby steps. It's okay. Just start somewhere and say, okay, my first visit of each day, I'm charting at the bedside. That's what I'm going to do this week. And watch your evenings, you know, watch yourself be able to reclaim those evenings and get them back for you and mm-hmm. slowly chip away at that. I like that. I like that. Not trying to do everything at once or yeah, like you said, just this week, I'm just going to, I'm going to make a narrative note. I'm going to make a five, 10 sentence narrative note that gives a good snapshot of what happened, a good broad picture. So anybody knows what that visit was like. And if that's all you can get done, start with that and then fill in around it. And you'll start to see that, you know, it's not too much more work to, to add in my vitals or to whatever at the time. So, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. So I, you know, I, I kind of want to begin to wrap this up and just speak to you, whoever you are listening to this right now. And tell you and ask you, can you imagine? Imagine if you can get your evenings back. Imagine if you don't have to spend a bunch of hours on Monday morning finishing up Friday's documentation. Like, just just stop for a minute and consider that. And think, how, how much less stress would my life have if I was finished at the end of each day at 5 4.30, you know, 5.30, whatever time that may be. And when I pull into my driveway, when I get home and I walk in the door of my house, I am 100% engaged with my family. We can get you there. We can help you find that place. And I want that for you more than anything that you can begin to imagine. And this is, this charting at the bedside is the first step in helping you get your life back. And, and if you have, if you're like, I'm sorry, but my caseload is hard and all my visits take so long, there's no winning this battle. And I'm here to tell you, we're going to help you get there with this show. We are going to help you build strategies into your day. And this is just step one. Okay, we've got multiple more shows coming your way that are going to deal with other issues and concerns. And we're going to help you take control of your days so that you can meet your patients' needs, so that you can connect with them on a deep emotional level, but you can still have your life in the evenings and on the weekends. And you, you're you not being handcuffed to this work in at night and on the weekends because that's not healthy for you and that's not healthy healthy with your family so as we begin to wrap this up mike i appreciate you coming on to the show with me give me give us some of your own closing thoughts on this subject well i recently um not recently within the last couple of years uh onboarded a couple of new people uh i i just remember the joy of having someone ride with me and and to see a different style and to be like 3.30 in the afternoon and and realize that going to a visit and maybe spending 30 minutes with that patient and then 20 minutes uh, calling the doctor and leaving a message, getting a new order, um, emailing somebody else that was involved and getting all of those little steps that have to do with that visit and that patient done right then and going on to the next and looking at her across the table i said it's 3 30 in the afternoon we just did five visits to drove 120 miles and we are done with our day and you've already made all of your emails phone calls and all we have is waiting to hear back from two doctors and and having her look at me and say i can't believe that this is doable and that this is not like it doesn't have to be harder than this because the other people training were, was a completely different story. 
all of that to say an extra five or 10 minutes that you take early on, I think saves you 30 or 40 minutes later on down the road when everything isn't fresh and you're not in that, that zone where you're working that patient in that case, it's just, uh, a little bit of time spent here saves a lot more time spent later. That's right. That's right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate having you and I'm sure we will get you into future shows and so I just want to uh, shoot out a few items uh, as we finish up today's show. First off, come and visit me. Visit us at, vi- at uh, thehospicenursingpodcast.com. There, I managed to spit it out. Uh, and then there is an About James page at the website there. And you can click on that and you can find me. Well, I'm trying to be everywhere. I am on Twitter. I am on Facebook, Instagram. I'm even trying out the TikTok things. Uh, TikTok deal and I actually have a weekly hospice thought that I am posting there just to give you some extra information or you can call us and leave a listener uh, feedback at 816-834-9191 tell us what your challenges are with charting at the bedside or give us some other ideas for some shows that maybe you want us to try and you want us to bring to you some solutions or ideas or maybe I need to find somebody else to come on here and can share some insight with you but this is your show this is not my show this is your show this is the only show dedicated to helping hospice nurses avoid burnout and be more successful and claim your life back and stay in this work because we need you our patients need you the caregivers need you and the community needs you. This has been episode three of the Hospice Nursing Podcast for December 6th, 2021.